listening to another episode of The Accessible Stall. What are we going to talk about today, Emily? Books. All right. I'm super excited. Okay. No, not books, plural, actually. Book singular, a specific book. I'm really pumped about this. So we have a really cool sponsored episode today, and we're specifically interviewing an author of the new book, The First Thing About You. Uh, Chaz Hayden is our special guest, and I am super excited to chat about this because, honestly, I feel like we don't do enough talking about disability representation in the media on this podcast. I'm being sarcastic. We talk about it all the time. But it's always cool anyway. to bring it up again, though. <laughs> so I'm really excited to turn it over to our special guest to introduce himself. Chaz, can you tell us about yourself? We know you're an author, but what else is there to know? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for having me on this podcast. I'm super excited. Uh, so like Emily said, my name is Chaz Hayden. And yeah, I have a disability called spinal muscular atrophy. SMA for short, um, there's different types of it. I kind of have type one to type two is what I tell people. I'm in a powered wheelchair, uh, been in a wheelchair since I was like two years old and just, you know, going full throttle on the joystick all the time. Um, but yeah, I'm an author. My debut novel, First Thing About You, coming out September 6th. Uh, and I'm super excited about that and just trying to represent the disability community as best as I can. Congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Do you know that I'm the only person on this call that hasn't written a book? <laughs> Don't feel bad. <laughs> Don't feel bad. I feel like I really you, should join the club. But you were quoted in mine. That's like true. you have a really good quote in there. So it's basically the same thing as writing a book. I, I did true. that to one of my best friends as a librarian, and I put her in the acknowledgments of my book. So now I'm like your your name will forever be printed in a published it, book. Yeah. It's 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 a very beautiful thing you can do for somebody, honestly. See, that's super lovely, but also I learned this the hard way. Um in the acknowledgments of my book, I thanked uh my ex-boyfriend and oh, no, so that. now that I'm not with him anymore, <laughs> I emailed my publisher and I was like, guys, we need to take this out. <laughs> That's like getting a tattoo. That's like getting a matching tattoo. <laughs> At least I do not have the tattoo. I mean, but the book still feels permanent. Anyway, getting off track here. Do go on, Kyle. So, yeah, I mean, Emily and I both read the book. We loved it. Um, but just for our audience, can you give us a summary of what readers can expect from the first thing about you? What's it about? Who's your audience? The whole spiel. For sure. It's a young adult YA novel, that's what they say. Um, I love reading YA. I just think young people and teenagers, that's when I think we're our most authentic self, to be honest with you. And uh, it follows the protagonist is a 15-year-old boy named Harris Jacobus. He also has SMA. And his family just moved from California to New Jersey. And he's going to take this as an opportunity to reinvent himself being known as more than just the kid in a wheelchair. Uh, but he kind of has this one uh, issue of wanting to know everyone's favorite color. He thinks by knowing someone's favorite color, he can judge their personality or judge them the same way he thinks others judge him based off of his wheelchair. Um, so along the way, he'll befriend some people, he'll make some enemies, and then he'll meet a really awesome, confident nursing student who's going to accompany him 
to high school. Her name is Miranda. She's the perfect blend of orange and red, in his opinion, which is uh, the best top uh, teller to his favorite blue. Uh, but she's kind of battling her own demons at the same time, so we're not really sure you know, if, if Miranda's helping Harris, if she's hurting him along this journey, and it's really fun to see their dynamic kind of play out. So there's a lot of elements at play in the book, and there's a couple of different storylines to follow, and I know that it's young adult fiction, but I have to ask if there are any autobiographical elements that inspired the book. <laughs> it's funny, when my family reads it, or like very close friends, they was like, oh, I can like hear your voice or whatever, like when my uh, brother's reading it now and my grandparents read it, I was like, it's not a biography. Like, don't be offended. And they're like, yeah, but like this thing kind of happened. Like, I remember, I'm like, yeah, like something similar that like that happened. I think what I did is when I when I first started writing the story, um, I didn't want to write a biography just because I hate writing about myself. I just think it's really hard to do. And I wanted to still share my experiences, but like in a fun way. And I felt like I could do that. I could share kind of the journey I've had, the roadblocks I've had to overcome, like within education and relationships and making friends. Um, and maybe there are specific scenes in there that, you know, I've encountered, but I've kind of fictionalized them, if that's a word, um, you know, in a sense. To make it it is now. Yeah, univer- I wanted it to be more universal, universally relatable than just me saying, hey, this is what happened in my life. I hope you can relate to it, you know? It's interesting, right? Because when I read it, I was like, I didn't think the whole thing was a biography, obviously, but I was, it, it like you're saying, it was like, I wonder how much of this actually happened to him in some way or another. Like, I'm I, sure a lot of it was dramatized, but. So I would say, I, I would say like this is like, there's specific scenes like in it that have happened, but like the overall generalized story is never happened. Like that's completely made up. Yeah. I see. Harris, uh, the character I we noticed in the book, goes through a lot of what we interpreted as um, internalized ableism and through his insecurity. And yeah, 100%. <laughs> Emily and I, and very likely you, could probably all really relate to that. And we, def- we definitely felt that way when we were Harris's age. Um, so take us 15 years into the future when you've written the sequel to this book. What would you have... <laughs> Older Harris, thirty-year-old Harris, tell fifteen-year-old Harris. Oh wow, that that is an awesome question. I see. We said there weren't going to be any trick questions, but we didn't say there weren't <laughs> going to be any like, oh, you really have to think about it questions. Yeah, no one has asked me that before, and I super love this one. Um, <laughs> so it's definitely unique. Uh, I think you know Harris changes a lot throughout the book, specifically at the end. I hope you see a transformation that. He wants to become a better person, um, not just, you know, for his friends and family, but for himself as well. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, I kind of look back at my, old, at my younger self and I'm just like, hey, it's, it's okay to feel the way you're feeling right now. Um, just don't let it stop you from doing the things and living your life. 
And I feel like that's how I've always lived my life. It's like people around me always say, oh, you're always smiling, you're always laughing, you're always having a good time. I'm like, yeah, I think when you're disabled, like, you know, people say, oh, you keep smiling for me, right? They want you to smile for them. Um, and I smile for myself, um, you know, even on my darkest days, just because I know I have to. I can't let myself really dive deep down into that pain. And I think that Harris will soon, you know, as he gets older, learn how to how to deal with some of those emotions better than he does through the story. I mean, I think there's a balance, right, where we can totally feel our feelings and some days it's like, wow, being disabled, kind of hard, kind of sucks. But also there's this expectation that society has on us that we always have to be putting on a show for them and kind of showing up in a certain way. And so it's, it's really challenging to, to balance that dynamic. And I can tell that that is something that Harris is definitely grappling with. Yeah. I think he struggles with, I mean, his family is interesting because they don't treat him any different. Right. And that you should never be treated, treated differently by your parents, your family, whatever your friends, but he treats himself differently. So like you say, Cal, it's just, like internalized ableism in the sense where it's like no one's ever told him that he has to think this way, but he thinks this way just because he's a teenager and he has normal teenage body anxiety, right? It also just happens that he's in a wheelchair too on top of that. So it's like, you know, people always ask me, like, how did you balance like disability and like the teenage side? I'm like, it, it was just a part of him. There was never a separation of like, oh, now I have to explain his disability. Now I have to explain his teenage side. It was like, it was both all the time. I actually really appreciate that. Yeah, it's not like disability is this separate thing over here. It's like, I'm dealing with all of this. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So we've been talking a lot already about disability representation, but... I'd say, and I think we can all agree, that disability representation in the book world is still lacking, to (laughs) say the least, although (laughs) we're definitely seeing progress, you know, books like yours. Mm -hmm. Uh, We would love to know, are there books, are there authors that specifically served as models for you as you were pursuing your own writing journey? I don't don't think there was any author out there that wrote disability in the way that I I wanted to, or at least I hadn't found any that were similar. I think more coming out now, um, which I, you know, I think is amazing. Um, there was a book written like early 2000s that has not the best title. Um, it's called Stoner and Spaz. Um, it's not, but it's not written by someone who was disabled. Um, I think the, the author's wife um, worked with um, disabled um, children, uh, but I, what I liked about it was the main character is disabled, and it's sort of him like befriending this outcast, and like them kind of figuring out how to be like you know outcasts together, and it felt really authentic. Like um, I think the character has uh, cerebral palsy, and like there's a really intimate scene where he's kind of self-conscious about the parts of his body that are a little bit maybe not beautiful in his eyes and and them kind of having this physical intimacy and, and her not caring. And I was like, you know, I think even if the author wasn't 
um, dis isn't disabled. I think that scene was really well written. So that was a book I read a long time ago that was kind of like, yeah, I, I think this is on the right track. It could be a, a lot better, obviously. Um, but I hope, you know, I'm sort of the beginning of a phase of authors, I think specifically within fiction, uh, we need, right? Like there's a lot of books out there that are memoirs or, or whatever, autobiographies um, that talk about disability, um, but there's not a lot of fiction, not just within literature, but like film and TV as well, that I think authentically represent the disability life. You know, I have not read the book that you mentioned, but as somebody with cerebral palsy myself, I can't imagine the effect that that scene would have had on me at an age like that, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I turned out okay, but like it's that, that I can t like, I remember those days. Right. And I'm like, man, that would have really stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. I think even like in mine, I, I wanted scenes where I kind of pushed the boundaries a little bit. And although it never becomes too provocative, um, there are intimate scenes where, you know, Harris is lying next to, there's someone in his bed, right? And he's thinking about this and um, I, I, and how uh, the other main character, Nori, who he has a crush on, like, you know, her just kind of sitting on his lap at the concert or like feeding him at lunch when they go on a date. Like it's all these things where if I can put this out there and be like, hey, like this did happen to you. If this is kind of how you can approach this situation. I hope it makes someone or a young reader with a disability understand that this is a possibility for them to kind of put themselves out there and, and live a, 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 you know, a 12 on 12 typical uh, relationship with someone. It's honestly really refreshing to see it, you know, even, I mean, I'm, I'm disabled, but I can imagine that seeing those words and that, that character and those actions, like feeding someone uh, being put in print, like reading those words <laughs> to a non-disabled reader, just to mm -hmm. normalize situations like that could potentially have a very big impact on somebody, which, you know, Emily and I both really love. I hope um, so. Yeah. Thank you. So let's talk about like actually getting the book like in print into people's hands. We know, well, Emily knows <laughs> that the publishing world can be a challenge for disabled authors to like get through. So tell us about the process of being, of, of getting the book out there from your head to the books behind you. Um, did you encounter any barriers, any rejections, any stumbles, stuff like that? So I started writing not this novel, but a novel that's not published back, I, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago. It was the first thing I'd ever written. Um, I, at that time, didn't have a job. I had a lot of free time on my hand and I was reading a lot and I was like, hey, maybe I could try this out. Um, so I wrote a novel, had no idea what I was doing and it was not about disability, had no disabled characters at all. At all. And I shopped that around for a while and, you know, kind of just went to writing groups and getting feedback and like working on poetry, working on short stories, just any other type of writing medium to get better at it. So I was like, you know what, I really love doing this. And um, it was probably um, the beginning of 2019, I had the idea for the first thing about you and I was like, you know what? I, I think I need to tell a disability story. I need to tell my story, but in a way that feels, like I said, more relatable and open to everyone. Um, so I just started, you know, jamming that out. Um, I use an eye tracker 
to write. Um, I know some people use voice dictation. I find that kind of hard. Um, so I use eye tracking. It's the closest I can get to the, to the vibe of typing with my hands. Um, so I, I, it probably wrote, it probably took me about, I don't know, like seven or eight months to write the first manuscript. Um, I had um, some friends and family read the first draft as beta readers and just give me some feedback. I was fortunate enough where I had a literary agent in mind that I'd been following for years and I just love the authors that he puts out. Um, he was the first agent I sent to and I must have hit him at the perfect time. I remember sending my query, my submission to him and but just like, you know, the opening kind of five pages and him responding in five minutes and being like, hey, send me the rest of this. I was like, wow. Um, and nice. he was just like, I just happened to be at my desk when this arrived. So it was just perfect timing. And um, I ended up um, signing with him. Uh, we revised it together for about, I don't know, half a year um, before we both felt comfortable that it was in a position to be in, with publishers and editors. Uh, so in the uh, summer of 2020, we, he submitted to you know a handful of publishers and editors, probably like a couple dozen. And I'm just was really fortunate to get such immediate positive feedback from everyone, um, a few offers. Um, so I was able to choose who I kind of wanted to sign with. And I ended up signing with Candlewick because uh, the editor, my editor, Kaylin, just fully understood the story. She understood the characters deeply. Um, some of the other publishers, like, no offense to them, I, there was just things that they wanted to change about it that I felt like kind of took away from what I was trying to say. So, yeah, I, I, my experience has been, you know, a, a huge just learning experience, but also just uh, truly just honored and, and fortunate with how, how uh, smooth it, it's gone so far. I think I feel like yeah there's so much to unpack in that (laughs) sorry it's a lot I ramble no it's great I mean I think the the first thing that really stood out to me is the fact that you initially were working on something that was not at all disability related and this is something that I think about a lot because I am all about disability representation in the media, but that doesn't always necessarily mean having to tell a story about disability, although I want tons of stories about disability in the media. But it is interesting that a lot of disabled people that I know end up gravitating towards writing the stories that we are not seeing (laughs) instead of being a disabled person who happens to be writing a story that has nothing to do with disability. And I think about that a lot because I write about disability. I'm a disabled person all Mm -hmm. the time, 24 seven professional disabled person. And so it's just, I'm not a hundred percent sure where I'm going with this, but it's just like interesting to think about the fact that you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think for me, I had this assumption that, like if I wrote about a disabled character, it it would feel like really contrived. You know, I wasn't. I, I think I think at that time I wasn't even sure how to do that. I'm um, just because I was so new to creative writing um, when I first started, and 
I, when I first started writing the first thing about you, I had this totally different feeling than when I was working on the other novel, where like within the first 10 pages, I'm like, yes, this is it. Like, I know, like people always say, write what you know. And I truly believe that now. You know what I mean? Like I, the other things I try and write, maybe were not fully lived experiences for me. And I wasn't able to authentically tell a story or give a voice to someone, right? Um, but I think with this, I just going into it, I have so much more confidence. But I see what you're saying, and I, I agree with you. Like, I, for me, I don't think all my stories, all my books are, are going to have a disabled main character, right? Maybe someone in the story will have a disability, but I hope that, um, you know, readers and, and everyone in the community can understand that even just me as a disabled uh, creator can make content, make stories, make books, write books that don't just have to be disability related, but is me as a, as a disabled person putting content out there. And I hope that's okay for everyone. We talk about this all the time with our podcast. Like people come to us because they want to listen to disability related stuff. But at the same time, we're not only disabled people, right, Kyle? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like a battle that we face every time we record an episode. But, you know, I mean, we just I guess the way we see it is like if we can help one person, you know. Yeah, that's how I feel, too. Uh, I think if one person picks this up and reads it. Um, and they feel a connection to it, um, disabled or not, honestly. Like, I've gotten so much amazing feedback from able-bodied people just saying, like, hey, I learned a lot just reading this. Not just about, not only SMA, but just someone in a wheelchair in general, you know, how to in, how I should interact. Like, it's sad that someone's like, I didn't know how to interact with someone in a wheelchair, right? But it's like, if my book or anybody's book can, like, teach them how to do that like I'm fine with it you know someone has to do it yeah there is a lot of value in that and I'm a big believer in the ripple effect so like if one person as Kyle was saying hears something reads something sees something and says wow I I feel like maybe I understand a little better or I feel a little less alone then I think that's totally worth it and the other thing that I keep thinking about from what you said earlier is that you had a lot of kind of right place, right time. Like it worked out pretty well Uh scenarios. And I know a lot of disabled people who I've talked to have actually struggled a lot when it comes to getting fiction Mm. connected to disability published. And so, So you know, I think I just want to kind of, lean into that a little bit because I know it's like a different story for everyone. Yeah. I, I think that's unfortunate for me when I submitted to my agent, I, um, and this is a really unfortunate possibility. I don't know if this is the truth or not, but I, I didn't, I, I did not rely heavily on the disability side of the story in my synopsis that I sent it, sent to my agent. I kind of just talked about um, the tellers, the favorite teller part, and that this main character is also in a wheelchair. Obviously, when you read the first five pages, you pick it up, okay, this, this person's in a wheelchair. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's some people are just 
you know, like, hey, I wrote a disability story. I'm like, this has to be about this. Like, you know, I think it's all about how it's portrayed. Unfortunately, that just might be the truth, right? Where I kind of just was like, hey, here's a story about a teenage boy. It also so happens that he's in a wheelchair too, you know, kind of like that. I think actually that makes a lot of sense to me. Like this is part of the story and it is the central, a central theme of the story, but also we don't need to just lead on it as the only theme in the right, story. Exactly. There's also yeah. a lot of other character growth and development. And you said earlier, you know, write what you know. And I think that's a, a huge piece of helpful advice. But now that you've been through this process and you've been able to reflect on it, do you have other advice that you would give? I would say to all writers, but also to disabled writers, because, you know, as we were just saying, not everybody has had as easy a time, I guess, navigating yeah. that system. So what's your advice? My general advice when people ask me is to find what your voice is. What do you sound like as a writer? Don't try and sound like anybody else. Don't try and write a story like anybody else. To be honest, when I'm writing, I don't even read because I don't even want that author's tone or story to influence like what I'm doing. So like, you know, I don't even read as much as I would like to because of that. Um, so, you know, don't, that's what I would say. Just figure out who you are. And once you figure out who you are as a writer, you're going to have a lot more confidence in uh, what you're doing. And then the other part for disabled writers, a few people who are able-bodied that have reviewed the book publicly have said that it taught them without being preachy. It didn't lecture them. And that was something that was really intentional when I wrote this, is that if disability and activism and like inequality was right at the front of my mind the entire time, I would have written the entire thing from a place of anger, um, where Harris, the main character, and the story is not an angry story. It's a story about learning from a bunch of different people. Um, so I had to make sure that his problems and barriers were sort of woven into his everyday life of being in school and not having the technology to be independent and finding a nurse to be with him and just like um, accessibility when he's out with his friends, right? Like there wasn't one thing for me to like stand on top of a box and like shout about. And I think like because of that, so many people who are able-bodied have been like, I've learned so much but it wasn't like in my face and it didn't yell at me. And like maybe in certain in certain contexts, right? We have to do that in certain in certain situations. But I think also it's like, how can I portray what how can I say what I want to say? Um, and make it um make it get absorbed in the most efficient way possible by people that are not living this life. You're speaking our language. Yeah, I mean, that's something that, that we, I think if you had to say one, like not issue, but one barrier that we face every time we record an episode, it's how do we sound friendly enough to be listened to yeah. while still getting our message across. Yes. And I I didn't really, it's funny, while I was reading it, I didn't get that vibe. And I, I think that's the point. 
But when you say it to me now, it's very obvious. And I think that's part of the reason why the book, at least for me, was so very enjoyable and also easy to read. No, now, thank you. Yeah. I know I said, I know we said there'd be no gotcha questions, but I have a little one. And I'm <laughs> going to apologize in advance for this. Uh-oh. Sorry, but it's driving me crazy. And I have to know if you're willing to tell me, us, what is Nori's favorite color? Are we ever going to get that out of you? Is that like a secret? Oh, man. You'd have to, you'd have to hack into my computer and read the original manuscript. Um, because in the original manuscript, the OG, she tells him, and sort of around the third revision, my editor and I were like, but what if she doesn't tell him? Like, isn't that worth better? And um, there's actually a discussion guide that Tenderwood Press is putting out, and that's one of them um, for teachers to talk about with students. It's like, hey, what do you think your favorite color is? Like, find evidence within a story to support that. I don't know. Uh, I think she's everything. I, I think that's... The thing about her is that there's not one thing that kind of pinpoints her down and defines her. Just like how students soon learns that he can't just pick at someone's favorite color and say that's who they are. And I think Nori is the person that teaches him that because she never reveals what her favorite color is. Oh, man, that was such a good answer. I was just like, yeah. come on, tell me your favorite color in the fuchsia. In the turquoise, <laughs> and then he's like, "Oh wait, you can't actually be that reductive." And, okay, but I mean, challenge accepted. We're definitely gonna hack into your computer system now because yeah, I really sorry. actually want to know. <laughs> I had a feeling she started to wear green just to kind of drive him nuts, like uh-huh. to get him to believe that green was her favorite color. Uh-huh. Uh, but sort of related. I mean, this is a little off topic, but I, I I like the mom. There was one moment in the book where she was like. I just said that to you so that you know what to say. to It was not supposed to be that serious. <laughs> and like for like a brief second, his whole world was like, what? It shattered. Yeah. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I, I think I think that sort of goes to what you're saying. It's like not everyone really needs a favorite color. But yeah. And it's funny you brought that up. Like that scene in particular is really difficult to get right for like the reason you just said where it had to feel like they're having this authentic conversation. And it's like news to him that this wasn't right. how he's supposed to be living his life. But it was like also the mom being like, you know, it couldn't feel manipulative to the reader. And, you know, it couldn't feel like this huge earth shattering, like reveal. Because it wasn't really like the climax of the story. Like not like it was, but like it wasn't. And it, it sort of had to, the reveal had to feel like, hey, um, you weren't supposed to be doing this. And Harris is like, uh, pardon me, what? Like, this is my whole life. This is my life. Right, yeah. like I shaped everything around this. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I also really like your framing of it in the sense that other people place judgment on him. So this was his way of trying to find a way to judge and understand and kind of figure out other people. So it, it's, the color dynamic of the story is really, really interesting. And I hope that's what uh, piques people's interest. Yeah, I hope to so. Read it. it was not a part of my original idea of the story. I was probably 50 pages in to the first draft. Um, and I was having a conversation with a friend about like why people wear certain colored clothing on certain days. And 
we just got into a conversation about color theory in general. And it was like, I'd heard of it, but not really done too much research. And I kind of went home that day and just like dove into like website after website about color theory. And I was like, and at that time I was trying to find something to like deliver all these themes of like judgment uh, that the book talks about. And I just couldn't find something that felt like super like silly and like not that big of a deal, but also like was kind of an interesting plot line to the story. And like, I was like, yeah, this is it. It has to be this. It's a unique one for sure. And I enjoyed it. And I know that you're literally still processing the release of this book. And I know when people were saying to me, okay, cool. Like you did this one thing. Now what's next? I was like, can you slow your roll, please? But at the same time, I'm going to be that person. And now I'm going to be like, so you put this really cool book out into the world. Mm. What else is on the horizon for you? Yeah, so in terms of writing, um, I just finished the manuscript for my second novel. It is not a sequel, so I disappoint you all, um, if that's what you were hoping. <laughs> um, you know, it, it was fun to write. That'll be out. I don't know when. I'm revising it now. Um, two, three years, who knows. Um, but for that, um, it, does inv- it does still involve disability themes. Um, one of, not the not the nar- the narrator is not disabled, but the I would say the second main character is disabled, and kind of their relationship together is was really interesting. Um, like people ask me what it's about, and I say, if you read the first thing about you, you get a good handle on like Harris's family, um, something overall that you're a loving, supportive family of him, um, something that I just didn't have the space to fully develop and talk about was his relationship with the older brother. Um, you know, it kind of comes in towards the end, but I'm like, what if I designated an entire story to a relationship of a sibling that has a disability and one that doesn't, and, but I also flip the family dynamic of Harris's family on its head. Like, what does that look like? And, um, yeah, this one was really fun to write and, uh, I'm looking forward to eventually putting that out. As a uh, disabled sibling to a non-disabled younger sibling, I don't know which is the non-disabled sibling in your book, but I'm I'm very much looking forward to that already. Yeah, yeah, me too. It was um, it was interesting to write, uh, just because I had to write it from the perspective. I'll be honest, it's from the perspective of the non-disabled sibling, um, so kind of their anxiety around the whole thing, but also making sure that the sibling that is disabled still has his voice and isn't just like this helpless person, but is impactful to the story in a meaningful way. Um, and isn't just like this aside that needs to, not just a person that needs to be saved or like protected, but also is important to the plot of the book. And yeah, I, I can't wait for that to be out. Well, if non-disabled people can always be trying to write disabled characters then disabled people can write for <laughs> non-disabled characters <laughs> well uh i mean hey thank you for your time uh, my, our last question is 
where can people find you? Where can they get the book? When's it coming out? Do you have social media? Do you have, <laughs> just give us all your links. All the details. All the deets. Uh, so September 6th in the US and Canada. September 1st, it'll be published in the United Kingdom, Australia, um, anything UK, um, assumed to be Italy, in Italy. I don't know when. And then, and then also in Poland um, in the near future as well. Nice. Um, there will be an audio book also released uh, at September 6th as well. And yeah, I, and you can find it anywhere a book is sold. People ask me, my friends, I feel like they've never read in their entire life. They're like, where can I buy a book? Like, can I buy it on Amazon? I'm like, yeah, you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it at Target, Barnes & Noble. You can buy it from the dude on the street. I don't know. Like, where do you buy it? I'm definitely that? getting my copy from a dude on the street. Yeah, I think well, you have to. It's really funny, though, because people are always like, where can I buy your book? And I always want to be like, have you heard of Amazon? But at the same time, I've decided now that I'm trying to at least direct people to like a local bookstore. That's what I do too. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's wild to me how people are just like, how do I buy a book? And I'm like, the internet. Yeah. The internet. (laughs) A bookstore. (laughs) Yeah. Those, Those exist, you know. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, you can buy it anywhere. And um, if you want to keep up with me, I'm on social at the Chaz Hayden on Instagram and Twitter. So yeah, love to, if someone wants to DM me, talk about your favorite color, music, sports, whatever you want to do, just look at my beautiful face on there. I don't know. Not just me. Chaz Hayden, but be Chaz Hayden. Be Chaz. So, so my, my family calls me the Chaz. Um, but the Chaz on, I think, instant Twitter was taken, unfortunately. So I do the Chaz Hayden, but that's fine. Yeah. Well, very official, but this was super fun. Thank yeah, you fun. so, so much for joining us. And by the time this episode is out, I believe your book will be out. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's super cool. Congratulations again. Thank you. And I hope that everyone will take some time to check out the first thing about you because Kyle and I both really enjoyed it. And also thank you again so much to Candlelit Press for sponsoring this episode. We had such a great time chatting with you. And uh, Kyle, what's the last thing that we have to say before we sign off? Oh, are you talking about our Patreon or are you talking about how we I say we, everyone looks great today? Okay, well, if I you am. want to support the show, if you want to support the show, dear listener, you can go to patreon.com slash the accessible soul, just $1 a month and ensures that all current and future episodes of the accessible soul remain, what is it? Accessible! Hooray! <laughs> um, yeah, this <laughs> has been another episode. almost did that in one breath. This has been another episode of the accessible soul. Uh, I'm Kyle. She's Emily. And he's Chaz. And uh, might might we say you look great today? I mean, seriously, those sweatpants are doing wonders for you. You look fabulous. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>